Open with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. Before we read, I want to apologize in advance. This is going to be the ugly pass into the end zone, hopefully. Um, it's, it's one of those sermons. It, I like to be, you know, I have OCD when it comes to my sermons, a theme, and then the points follow perfectly logically. This time it's just going to be bleh. But by God's grace, it'll be the message of the passage. So that's what's important. The port, importance is not the beauty of the style, right? It's about hearing what God tells us in his word. So uh, that's what we're going to see this morning. So stand with me as we hear the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. A nice little passage that we could easily ignore ironically enough hear the word of the lord to you this morning then little children were brought to jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them but the disciples rebuked those who brought them jesus said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these when he had placed his hands on them he went on from there Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, once there was a very distinguished looking elderly gentleman. And he was walking through a, a toy department. And he stopped to admire a toy train. It whistled, it belched, it smoked, it did all the things that a, a real train, freight train would do. And after looking at it for some time, he finally said, I'll take it, please have it wrapped. The clerk said, fine, I'm sure your grandson will love it. The elderly gentleman said thoughtfully, that's right, maybe you better make it too. (laughs) Well, this humorous story really does capture the way that we can overlook little children, doesn't it? Obviously, the child wasn't on his mind, and very often for us, um, children can tend to be little more than a nuisance. And this story is... uh, it captures, in the, in the scriptures here, it captures the way that we could tend to overlook little ones. And this was certainly, if we look at the text, this is what Jesus' disciples were absolutely guilty of. And here's the interesting thing. After Jesus in chapter 18 just use a child to illustrate that you must become like this if you want to enter the kingdom. And now here these children are being brought to Jesus to be prayed for, to be blessed. And here these, the disciples are like, ah, send them away. Get, you know, the, Jesus doesn't have time for this. And here's the good news of the passage. You want to see the good news of the passage for those of us who are parents, for those of us who are uncles, those of us who are uh, just involved in children's lives. The good news is Jesus is deeply concerned with infants. He's deeply concerned with children and he wants to bless them. Isn't that good news? God cares. I think that's a good thing. And what we're going to see in the text, and this is where I think certainly this is what the text says. My points get a little interesting, but this is what the text definitely tells us. Far from hindering children from coming to Jesus, we should bring them to him with confidence, knowing that he desires to bless them. That's what the text tells us. Far from hindering them, we should help them. Because, and here's the incentive, Jesus wants them to come. If I was going to give a title to this sermon, it would be, Let them come! Bring them on! That's what we're going to see. So my points go kind of like this. Don't hold me to it. But the first one has to do with how we normally do neglect, or oftentimes can neglect 
little ones as in, insignificant. But, and then what we're going to see is the next few points. We should not get in their way. We should let them come. And last of all, I'm going to show you not just the what we're supposed to do, but hopefully give you a little advice on how we can do it. You know, a lot of times people just preach the law. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. Let's pray. And then we kind of feel like, ouch, thanks for what? Niente, nothing. <laughs> so hopefully at the end of this message, I'm going to give some, some good hints, some gospel hints on how we can reverse that pattern that is normal for human sinful nature to ignore little ones, to ignore those who seem insignificant in the world, and particularly, literally, infants as well. Okay? So let's take a look at this first thing, our normal predisposition. Many of us, I should say, to especially us men, right? These are disciples. These are guys. Right? They're busy about the business of the kingdom. They can't be bothered here. Let's take a look at it. Well, first of all, what we need to see is that the word that Matthew uses here for children is actually just a generic word for children, so it doesn't really pinpoint what age they're at. But there are some clues in the text. The first clue is they were being brought to Jesus. So that's kind of, uh, they have to be little enough that they're not coming on their own. So we've got to narrow it down a little bit. But then we're not held in suspense because the other gospel writers, Mark and Luke, both speak of this incident. And I believe it's Luke uses the word infant. So we know, now we've got it narrowed down, they were bringing their babies to Jesus for Jesus to, to bless and to pray. Four. There's some, lots of evidence that suggests that this was a regular practice in Judaism at the time. Um, parents would bring their infants to rabbis, and the rabbis would hold them. The rabbis would say a blessing. The rabbis would pray and commit them to God. So it's not a surprise when you think about it. Jesus' mighty works, his mighty words, he was renowned, especially in Judea, right? He's coming now. He's back in Judea. We know he's got two more weeks to, to live here. We know that he's on his way to the cross. He's coming home, as it were, to Judea, where he did first started all his miracles and his miraculous works and his teaching. And he's coming, and now you have, and I believe it's Mark tells us, they were in a house. And so when you think about um, the children being brought to Jesus, I don't think there was like five families. I think, I'm thinking just like in the rest of the gospel, there was like a line going way out, man. That's probably why the disciples thought, oh, no, you know. No way we're going to let this go on. But it wasn't surprising that parents would bring the kids, their children, to Jesus. Think about it. If you're a parent, you know deep in your heart, if there's anything you care about, is that you want your child to grow coming to know Jesus personally. I want I wanted my sons to know Jesus the earliest as possible that they possibly could. Amen? And I know I, I, we pray, we commit them to the Lord. Our desire is to see them walk humbly with their God all of their days. It's not surprising at all that parents would bring their children to Messiah Jesus for his blessing. But here's the surprising thing in the text. The surprising thing is that the disciples would get in the way of that and rebuke them. Now, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to figure out why. Jesus was busy preaching. He was busy healing. And, and not only that, think about this. The 12 had Jesus' attention all the time. 
And they were like, oh, no, you, you know, you're really going to waste the, the teacher's time. with No, no, we, we need to, to hear from Jesus. We need to be taught by Jesus. You know, we, we don't have time for these little ones. Now, look, I know some of you ladies are thinking, hmm, I can't really relate as much to that. Well, some of us guys, I think we could relate a little more to this. Because I'll tell you what, infants were not on my purview until I had my first one. You know, I, I would always see ladies go, and I'd be like, hey, hey, what's for dinner, man? Like, what in the world? Why are you, like, getting excited about this little creature? It's, it's like a, a, you know, ugh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of, you know, you know, and that's the other thing. And they come out of the womb. Oh, look how cute. I'm like, oh, what happened to that thing? You know, and you see the women going, isn't she beautiful? I'm like, you know, how do you answer that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, uh, if you, you know, consider blood, you know, that, that's, that's all right. But that was my purview. Of course, then I had my first son, biologically. And I remember being in the hospital, and I can't tell you, when I saw the birth, <laughs> right, I was young until I was like 22, that's pretty young. And I remember looking around like, is anybody seeing this? This is incredible. I, I, this is like a miracle. You know, and everybody's like, you know, the nurse and everybody's like, yeah, you know, because it's normal to them. And I'm like, what in the world is going There is a person coming out of my wife, you know. And I remember, I just remember literally being flooded with emotion and joy, right? And I remember just thinking how special. I had, there's a new life right here. And my whole, my whole perspective changed. And of course, I lifted him up in prayer. I prayed almost daily that God's best would be realized in his life. And of course, it doesn't matter if they're 40. If they're still around, you're still, around. You're still praying that same prayer if you're a parent. Amen? Amen. Amen. But the disciples obviously weren't very sensitive to these parents and others who were bringing the children. But the bigger issue here is they weren't in tune with the heart of their master. You know, how many times Jesus had to say to them, how long have I been with you? You still don't get it. We too could tend to ignore and overlook the little ones thinking they're too insignificant or unimportant to matter to God. But like the disciples, we would be dead wrong. They rebuked the parents. And what ends up happening is Jesus rebukes them. They weren't ready for that, were they? They were pretty big on the rebuke until now they're on the receiving end. And that's the thing I want you to see in this text. We should not hinder them. We should let them come. That's the next thing. Now, in Mark's account, it actually says Jesus was indignant. Whoa. I mean, a lot of times we've seen in the Gospels, Jesus was filled with what? Compassion. Or Jesus was amazed at their faith or at their lack of faith. But in this instance, we see righteous indignation. Now, the problem is with us, we're sinners. So we have a lot of self-righteous indignation sometimes, right? But Jesus is perfect, never sinned. So his indignation was holy. It was righteous. And with indignation, he says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Perhaps the the fact that Jesus has been using children as an example of kingdom qualities explains why he's so indignant. Kind of like, haven't you heard a word I said? This is unacceptable, your attitude. 
Let them come because the kingdom of heaven is for such as these. In other words, such as these. What does this mean? It means those who are helpless without God. Those who are humble. Those who just rely and trust without, as we get older without the skepticism, without the doubt, without the unbelief, with just the more help. One commentator puts it this way. That is to say, the kingdom of heaven is composed not of children as children, but of individuals with such characteristics, humility, trust, and a willingness to accept God's grace. Amen. That's why children shouldn't be hindered, because they represent the very qualities that we should be asking God for in our lives and striving for by the grace of God. Needy, humble, reliant trust. So we need to nurture, pray for them, and by all means bring them to Jesus that they might be blessed. I think something else is going on here too that I want to mention. I think it's important as we look at the bigger picture of the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Matthew we've been going through. Notice there's a pattern developing. People often come to Jesus in their desperation, crying out, looking for mercy, looking for de- deliverance. And as we've seen, the disciples and others tend to try to shoo them away. And I just want to give you just a a few instances of this where they're seen as either a nuisance or not worthy of Jesus' time and effort. In chapter 15 of the Gospels, verse 23, Matthew 15, 23. Oh, that was the Canaanite woman. If you remember, first of all, she's a woman. Second of all, she was a Canaanite. So she had those two strikes against her. And the disciples are like, please send her away. Right? She's annoying. And we know Jesus uh, turns around and we know the interaction with her. He ends up granting her request and she ends up having just being blessed by Jesus. Right? But she didn't seem very significant to the disciples. A, she was a woman. And back in those days, uh, ladies did not have rights like they do today. And actually, the gospel helped bring ladies' rights. Um, and then the second one was she was a Canaanite. She wasn't a Jew. So they were like, look, you know, we don't have time for them. But Jesus had time for them, didn't he? 1915, right here, it's infants. And then later we're going to see, we have two blind men crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And this time the crowd says, get away from Jesus. Please, just stop it. You're bothering them. Does, what does Jesus do? Well, we'll see you later. I'm not going to preach on the whole thing right now. But Jesus says, goes up to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Big difference in attitude, isn't it? The one attitude is you're not worth it. Jesus' attitude is, how can I help? Why do I bring this up? Because if this passage teaches us anything, it teaches us that when Jesus says these words in John chapter 6, verse 37, he means them. Listen. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's important. Jesus means it when he says it. That means regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic class, gender, culture, or physical condition. If you come to Jesus in humble faith, you will find, a guarantee, you will find his arms wide open. 
So even when I was first saved and I would tell people, you know, whoever comes to him, he will by no means cast out, you know, a young, uh, zealous, new believer. I believe it just as much today. Amen? Because it's true. Because that's our Jesus. That's the Jesus being presented for us in the Word of God. There are no little people in Jesus' kingdom. Nope, scratch that. We're all little people in Jesus' kingdom. Just humble, reliant on the grace of God. That Apart from Him, we could do nothing. We are humble, spiritual beggars telling other beggars where we found food. Whoever first said that, everybody tries to attribute who said, I don't know, I think it might have been Spurgeon, but I honestly don't know, but it's true, no matter who said it. Now, what's interesting in the passage that throughout chapters 18 and 19 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been going back and forth between referring to literal children and those who imitate their childlike faith and humility. And we have to be careful to make sure when he's referring to one or when he's referring to the other because we can get ourselves into trouble. However, I do want to spend the rest of our time, most of the rest of our time this morning, taking a look at how this passage applies to literal children, little ones. I think it's important not to ignore that. It would be ironic, wouldn't it, if we go on to talk about other things and we don't talk about kids. Excuse me. First thing I want to bring up is uh, it's a little difficult. It it can be very painful. I'm trying to uh, uh, approach it as uh, sensitively as I can, but the truth is good for us. That's why Jesus tells us the truth. Now, it's, no for re- it's not for no reason that Matthew talks about children here in his gospel. Because what did he just talk about in the previous verses? He talked about marriage. He talked about divorce. And the only uh, reason that he gives, and there's one other reason for um, Paul. And then he goes to what? Children. And why does he talk about children here? I'll tell you why. Who is hurt the most? When a divorce happens, it's the children. And I think there's a special, there's a strong thing where Jesus' indignation, do not hinder them, right? Let them come. He has a heart for the little ones who are dependent, so dependent upon the parents' actions. I could give statistics, but I'm not going to give statistics. I'm going to save us some time and some uh, maybe unnecessary pain, but I'm going to read this one example of what it does, what divorce does to children. Sarah Dessen just gives us an explanation, a very brief quote. I want to read what she says, and I think this just puts it so well. It summarizes it for us. She says, in the real world, you couldn't really just split a family down the middle. Mom on one side, dad the other, with the child equally divided between. It was like when you ripped a piece of paper into two. No matter how you tried, the seams never fit exactly right again. It was what you couldn't see, those tiniest of pieces that were lost in the severing. And their absence kept everything from being complete. I bring this up because we need to seriously reevaluate such statements as staying together just for the kids is not a good enough reason to remain married. Ever hear that one? Well, we do have to ask, says who? 
Who's saying that? First of all, I agree that for the, the reason for staying together shouldn't be just for the children. It should be because you're keeping the covenant you made with God and one another. That should be the main reason. Like you promised. Right? A righteous man keeps his promise even what? When it hurts. To his hurt. And especially as a follower of Christ, you're trusting your heavenly Father's word that he works everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even a struggling, difficult marriage. Secondly, yeah, you should put your children's interests first above your personal happiness or fulfillment. You know, our society has gone mad. It really has. Our society is completely narcissistic. It's completely selfish. It's completely about self-actualization, which is not the gospel. The gospel says, I have come to free you from that selfishness. Right? I have come to give you life and that more abundantly, that you can now be free from your selfish chains. You can live for God's glory and to be helpful and loving to others. And what we have to see is it's not the only option. We can actually do everything in our power. I know it's, it takes two to tango, but we could do everything in our power by the grace of God to make our marriage the best that it can be, even a difficult one. You still can do what you can do. Thankfully, we have a God who heals, he restores, and he makes new. I want you to see that if you're a product of divorce or if you've been through a divorce and you know, you're hearing these words, uh, we do have these sermons on the net as well, there is hope. God is about the, big, about the business of restoring, delivering, forgiving, healing. That's what the gospel's all about. We're all messed up. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin, right? But the reason we have this in the text as we do is I think this an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure you understand what that means it means it's much better not to <laughs> need the forgiveness it's much better to not need the restoration by sticking in there and fighting through your marriage for the sake of God for the sake of your partner and for your own good but we'll get into that another text another time the last application of this text I'd like to mention, and this is what we're going to close with, the last thing, is that as followers of Jesus, even if we recognize that we aren't great with little children, or maybe we're even honest enough to just say, I don't like kids. You know, that's refreshing when someone at least says, I got an issue. Even if we do that, we have to understand we, it's, we must not stop there. I've acknowledged it, okay, then I just go on my way. Imagine someone just saying, as if it's okay, I just don't like women. I ain't really going to hang out and talk to women. I'm only going to talk to, or I hate guys. I just I'm, I'm no guys for me. Or here's a better one. I don't like talking to elderly people. It's not good enough to just admit that, but we need to admit it if that's our issue. And we need to do what? Bring it to Jesus. God, I just got to be honest with you. Little kids are annoying. Tell him. You think he doesn't know? 
I think that's the first step. Remember I told you I'm going to help you work through this a little bit? The first step is acknowledging you have an issue. You got a problem. In other words, we take our weakness, our deficiency to Jesus. We come to him for help. Jesus loves the little children and he wants us to do the same. And think about it this way. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what we fail to realize. Infants, they are also our neighbor. They are human beings made in the image of God. Just not developed yet, but they're still. They have a soul. They're made in God's image. They're people. They're little people. whom Jesus desires to bless, so we have no right to ignore them. But here's where I'm going to not just tell you what's the right thing to do, I'm going to try to help you work through it, as some of us have had to do in the past, or maybe currently. And the example I think of, of all people, listen to this, C.S. Lewis. You may not know this about him. You know, he wrote the books, The Chronicle of Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia. It's, it's kind of children's tales, and, and here I am, you know, 48 years old. I love it more than a five-year-old kid. I just love the books. But so you would think, wow, he has no problem with kids, man. He's, he's good with kids. Well, I was reading, I read a lot of his writings, and I remember reading one of his letters, and he wrote in there to one of his friends, you know how I have trouble with little children. <laughs> what he was basically saying is, I don't like them. He's saying they bug me. But here's the interesting thing about that. Here's C.S. Lewis acknowledging it. Remember what I told you before? First thing you got to do is you acknowledge you have the issue. But then here's the interesting thing. This is where the help comes in. There was an interview with one of his stepsons. Later on in life, when he was older, he uh, married a woman who had cancer, and she had two little boys, and he invited them over to live with, them, with, live with him. He got married. And um, Douglas um, remembers these days, and there was an interview with him. And I'm just going to quote a little segment of the interview. Hang in there. We're almost done. And this is what he says. This is what the the interviewer says about Lewis and then Douglas' reply. While the scholar claimed that he was not good with children, his stories, letters, and experiences late in life suggest otherwise. Now this is what Douglas says, who grew up with him when he was just a little boy. This is what he says about C.S. Lewis. In my experience, he was excellent with children. He didn't talk down to us. He may have brought himself down to our level, but he never talked down to us from above. Jack, that's what his friends called him, Jack. Jack was always conscious of the fact that children are people. They may be small and unformed, mentally and emotionally as yet, but they are people with all of the same trials, tribulations, frights, and foibles as other people. And then Gresham paused, and then he said this, in a sense, The child in him lived with him the rest of his life. For anyone who is writing for children, that's an important thing. Here's the key, brothers and sisters, as we come to a close. You want to know the key, especially as kids grow up from infancy? Do you want to know what the key is going to be of loving and dealing with children in a loving way? It's going to sound crazy. Treat them as people. And ask God to help you to see them as just little people. And I'll tell you why. I have two uncles that I will always remember, and they're big in my life, and they're both gone. The one uncle was my Uncle Pete. If you guys hate me because I tease your kids, you, you could yell at my Uncle Pete who's gone. Because my Uncle Pete, as soon as he would come into the house, an old Italian Sicilian guy, he would come, hey, hey, and he would grab your cheeks 
and he would twist them so hard. And sometimes he'd lift you up off the ground. Ah, compete. And every time we had gatherings, he would wrestle with us. He would play with us. When, when it would become time for dinner, he'd be sitting down and I'd have like, my plate. He would have his plate absolutely full with stuff. And he would go over to mine and he would put his fork, like, you know, wherever I was. And because he, he knew that bugged the snot out of me. And of course, I'd be like, Ma, come here. And, and he just got such a thrill. At it. But the thing is, here's the funny thing. You think I would hate him more than the others. Guess what? I loved him more. As crazy and as dysfunctional as that sounds, why do you think I loved him more? Because he paid attention to me. Because he didn't ignore me like I didn't exist. I'll never forget my Uncle Pete. My one other uncle, and this, this is a very practical thing because that's probably not the best way to deal with it. But so this, this other one's a little more positive for, for those of you who didn't like the teasing thing. Uh, but I still tease. But anyway, my uncle Philly, uh, he ended up moving down south, became a real southern gentleman as opposed to the rest of us northerners. And uh, North Carolina, as a matter of fact, Greensboro. But when he used to come up from Greensboro like once a year to see his sister, my mom, um, he would take just me out no matter how little I was, to the OB diner, and we would have blueberry pancakes. But what was so special about that is he would just talk to me. And, you know, how's your day? How's this? How's that? But just normal conversation. I felt pretty special. Now, he did take me to the track a lot, too, though. But, you know, but, you know we, we live in Atlantic City, so who knows? Maybe we take people to the uh, casinos. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that one. But the point is, when he would go and do things, if, if he could bring me along, he would. And he treated me like a human being. And I brought up the example of C.S. Lewis because C.S. Lewis dealt with the fact that naturally he didn't have... He, in other words, he wasn't leading up the children's program in a church. Are you with me? That's not, this text isn't saying, if you can, hey, lead up the children. No, no, even to this day, that's probably not going to be my gift. But I could slow down. I could learn from kids. And I could learn from my Lord who says they're important. And I could make time for them. Amen? Amen? I could bless them. I could, by God's grace, be a blessing. And I could speak, to, not down to them, but on their level and love them so that Jesus can love them through us. And that we can bring them to Jesus for prayer. Do not hinder them. Jesus says, let them come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that no one's unimportant. Father, you made us in your image. And I remember just reading Genesis the other day and you said after you saw everything you created, it's good. Father, we grieve along with you that sin ruined your creation. And we grieve even more heartily when we realize that we contribute. Even as your people, we hurt others, we, we disappoint you and others and ourselves. And we do pray for forgiveness, Lord, that we can run roughshod over the little ones. And we can ignore them and look down on them. And and then, Father, sometimes we can even hinder them. So forgive us for this. And Lord, like C.S. Lewis, we just acknowledge, some of us do especially, that it's not easy for us. But we do ask for your forgiveness. And we ask that you would help us to show the patience and the love and the concern for the little ones that you have shown and continue to show to us through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. 
If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.